Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Good morning, New Grace uh, family. One, two. Good morning, New Grace family. Thanks for joining us here on Facebook this morning uh, for our Sunday morning worship service. Uh, with the weather the way it is, I just I, I was very concerned because some of our areas are getting ice and sleet and some are just getting rain. But we have a lot of people coming from a lot of different places. And so I, I thought it was just safer this morning with the way the weather is to go online only and uh, have our worship service on, on Facebook. And uh, I left the house uh, about 8 o'clock this morning. Uh, to come up to the church to get my message so I could do it on Facebook. And uh, Guilford Avenue and our parking lot are very slick. So I, I think I made the right choice. So just stay home today. Uh, get your Bibles open. We are going to be uh, having some preaching time and some worship together. And I want you to follow along with your family uh, and and join us as we worship God. Before we get into the message, I want to look at 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 24. Uh, the Bible says, who his self, his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Of course, this is a, a reminder of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Of course, he came uh, as God in the flesh, a perfectly sinless man, 100% man, 100% God. He lived a perfectly sinless life. He died on our place, and he took our sin. He became sin for us so that we could become righteous in the eyes of God. That's a wonderful promise God has given us. Our righteousness is not dependent on, on us or what we've done or how we live, because we can never live a righteous enough life to please God. But Jesus can and Jesus did. He lived for us. He died in our place and rose again to redeem us to God the Father so that we accept him as our Savior. When we put our faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus alone to save us from our sins, our sin is removed and God doesn't look at us as sinners anymore. He doesn't look at us as rebels anymore. He sees us as the right, as righteous as Jesus Christ is. That's a, that's a great promise. That removes the burden from us from having to uh, live for God, from having to try to please God, because you can never please God on your own. So Jesus pleased God, and we receive that righteousness through faith in Him, and we receive the Holy Spirit of God, which changes us and gives us the desire to live for Him. So live in that truth this morning. You're not what the world says about you. You're not what the enemy says about you. You are what God says about you. And God says you are holy. God says you are righteous. So live in that and live a life that is pleasing to him. Let's, let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you so much for the day you've given us. We thank you that we, we live in a time where God, when uh, sickness doesn't allow us or uh, weather doesn't allow us to meet, we can still hear the Word of God and worship you and learn of you and hear from you. God, we're so grateful for that wonderful truth and that wonderful privilege. God, I do pray that you would be with us this morning. Lord, everyone, I pray that you would keep us safe. 
Uh, Lord, I know there's some concern this morning with the, the roads being dangerous and maybe even uh, people losing power. Lord, I pray that you would just protect every one of us, that you would keep us safe, keep us warm today, help us have a good day with our families. But Lord, help us most importantly, as we come to the preaching time, help us to focus our attention on the Word of God and the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts. God, I know that when we do meet on Facebook, when we do meet remotely at home, it's a, a very easy distraction to kind of let the message play and really not pay attention and just say, well, we, we listened to the sermon, we went to church, and but Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to focus, remove all distractions this morning, help us to keep our attention on what you are saying through the Word of God. Lord, Every one of us this morning, whether we're, we're watching live or we're watching and listening later, I pray that you would use the Holy Spirit of God to do a work in our heart and a work in our life, that, Lord, you would use the preaching of the Word of God to change us for your honor and for your glory. God, I pray that you would be with me this morning and speak through me, Lord. Help me to say what needs to be said, what should be said. Help me not to say what I should not say, but, Lord, help everything I said and done bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I want everybody to get their Bibles open to Nehemiah chapter number 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. And I do encourage you, uh, even though you're at home, uh, maybe you're in your pajamas and you got a cup of coffee with you, that's fine. Get your Bible open. Uh, get a, I, you know, get your, your Bible and open it up to Nehemiah 6. Get your app open and to Nehemiah chapter 6. And let, let's read along uh, this morning as we, we look at the Word of God. Now, Nehemiah chapter 6. So get your Bibles open in Nehemiah chapter 6 and uh, follow along with us, uh, read with your family, get your family together, and let's worship together as if we were meeting together in church this morning. Now, uh, one of the things uh, that we, we don't like to talk about in the Christian life is the fact that the, the Christian life, it, it's not easy, and it doesn't get easier the longer we're in it. Uh, so it's not like if you've been a Christian for 50 years, then your life has suddenly become easier than a Christian, somebody who's been a Christian for just a few months. So we are constantly uh, battling burdens and trials and temptations. And one of the biggest temptations we face as believers is a temptation to uh, not continue in our walk with God, to give up on what God has, has called us to do. Um, you know, there, there isn't a time on earth when you're walking with God where all of a sudden temptations and trials um, go away. We're always going to face them. As long as you're living, you're going to face struggles. You're, you're going to face opposition uh, from, from many different sources to stop you, to tempt you, to stop serving God. Uh, we're constantly temp tempted to walk away uh, from walking with God, from being with God, from just serving God and what he's called us to do, to serve ourselves, to live for ourselves. And this temptation, it comes from a lot of different sources. It comes from our own flesh. Uh, you know, we when we're saved, we, we have the Holy Spirit of God move inside of us, but we don't lose that old sinful flesh. We are still constantly battling that flesh. You know, Paul said he had to battle that flesh every single day. Uh, so our own sinful desires that still live inside of us battle the spirit inside of us and tempt us to live for ourselves. Uh, some of the temptation to, to quit and to live for ourselves, it comes from the world. 
Um, you know, we look at our culture, we look at the world, and we see what the world says it looks like to live a, a good life. And then we look at what God is calling us to do and what God's calling us to self-sacrifice and God's calling us to, to give of, of ourselves for others. And we say, well, you know what? The, the, I know this is what God's calling me to do and what God says, but, you know, I really want to, I won't really want to do this. I really want to live what the world is calling a good life. You know, some of the, the temptation comes from the enemy itself. The enemy uh, tries to distract us from serving God, calls to discourage us from serving God through trials and temptations. And we see that clearly in Nehemiah chapter 6. You know, Nehemiah, uh, he's serving God. He is doing what God has called him to do. He, he left an easy life in Babylon. He was, yes, he was in captivity, but he was born in captivity. He didn't, he didn't witness firsthand the destruction of Jerusalem. He didn't see his family get slaughtered and his home get burned. He was born in Babylon. He was born in Persia. And he's got it pretty well there. He's, he's living as the king's cupbearer, which means he has a, a pretty good life going. And he is doing exactly what God has called him to do. And uh, in Persia, he's, he's uh, drinking the best wine. He's eating the best food. The king is paying him very well because his job is to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine before the king does to make sure no one's poisoning him. So if you want to make sure that you're not being poisoned, you keep the guy whose job it is to make sure you're not being poisoned. You keep him happy. You pay him well. You give him an easy life, and so, but he leaves this life to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall for God's glory. And what's he dealt with ever since he got there? Trials, opposition, temptations, burdens. Uh, he has dealt with constant opposition from without the kingdom of God and without the Jewish community and from within the Jewish community community. And that's very discouraging. When when you step out on faith to do what God has called you to do and you face nothing but opposition and nothing but people resisting you, uh, it's very discouraging. We saw this in Nehemiah chapters 4 and chapter 5. Uh, and chapter 6 is very similar to Nehemiah chapter 4. It's actually so similar that many people, when they're preaching through the book of Nehemiah, they kind of skip over it because you're, you're repeating a lot of the same things that you talked about in chapter 4. But here's the thing we got to understand. When God repeats things in Scripture, it's because He wants us to focus on it. He knows uh, we're, 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 we're very easily forgetful. We forget the lessons of God. We forget the things of God. He knows we're sheep. And as I've said before, sheep are dumb. Uh, and so He knows if we're not learning these lessons constantly, and we're going to forget them. So when God repeats a lesson, especially so close together, uh, it's because he's trying to show us something that he doesn't want us to miss. And oftentimes uh, when we're facing uh, obstacles or trials or temptations while we're serving God, we, we think it's because we're doing something wrong. Uh, God is punishing us or God is resisting us because we're not doing what God's called us to do. And look, there, there are times where that is the case, but it's not all the times. Um, you know, if you're facing attacks from the enemy, it's not a sign that God is mad at you or God is resisting you. It's a sign you're doing something right. Uh, but that also means that if, if you're not 
facing attacks from the enemy. If you're not facing opposition from the enemy, it's because you're not a threat to the enemy. Uh, because you're not doing what God's called you to do. So opposition from the enemy, opposition from uh, attacks from the enemy, they show us that we are, are serving God and doing what God called us to do. Now, one of the greatest things I love about the Bible is it doesn't just show us the great victories that people are going through. Uh, it shows us the highs and the lows. It shows us the good and the bad. It shows us the, the wars and the peace that they're facing to that they're facing. Uh, it's not it's not like Facebook or Instagram. You know, our social media culture only shows the good of people's lives, which is why uh, social media is so destructive. Because we we look at these people on social media and we see their perfect life, and we get we get envious, we get jealous, we feel bad about ourselves. But they're only showing the good things. If if the Bible was like social media. Uh, all we would see was the victory of Nehemiah face. We'd get like a, a selfie of him on the wall with the caption, finished in 52 days, uh, hashtag killing it. Uh, but God shows us the highs and the lows. Nehemiah 6 shows us how to fight those trials and temptations and opposition the enemy sends our way when he's tempting us to quit. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse number 1. <clears throat> now it came to pass when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not yet set up the doors to the gates. Now what's going on here is the wall is finished. Now they haven't put the gates in, but the wall is, is finished. It's finished in record time. Uh, and so the enemies, and we've met Sambalat, we've met Tobiah, we've met Geshem before, of course. Uh, Sam Ballad, he's a, a, a Persian official. Uh, Tobiah is an Ammonite official, and Geshem is, is an Arabian, and he's he's kind of an ally of both of them. And these men, they're they're very afraid of what's going to happen to them once the wall is finished, because they've they've used this op this opportunity where the wall's destroyed, where the city of Jerusalem's kind of in chaos under Babylonian rule, under Persian rule, to to really build their own kingdom. So they've gotten a lot of wealth. They've got a lot of power. They've really kind of solidified kind of these many kingdoms uh, in Israel and in Jerusalem. And so they're afraid that if these walls are finished, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt their life. And so they, they are afraid that they're going to lose power. They're going to lose uh, wealth. And so they're opposing what Nehemiah is doing. Look at chapter 2. Um, again, that the, uh, we haven't put the doors upon the, upon the gates. That Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying... Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. Now, the, the plain of Ono was really, it was a halfway point between where Sambalat and Tobiah were and Jerusalem. And so it, it appears as if they're asking Nehemiah to meet at a neutral location, to come to a peaceful resolution, to a peaceful compromise, where everybody's happy. Now, their method to stop Nehemiah has changed. Remember, when we met him in chapter 4, they're, they're mocking him. Uh, they're making fun of him. When that doesn't work, they start to threaten him. Um, and so now they're, they're kind of changing their tune. They're friendly. Hey, man, we're so so glad that you've done this. We're so proud of y'all for accomplishing this great task. Let's meet together so we can kind of figure out how things are going to work in the future. And so they appear as if they're trying to be friendly, 
But Nehemiah, he sees through what they're doing. He, God has given him a special revelation, and he knows this isn't a friendly invitation, that their intention is to hurt him, to uh, kill him or keep him captive. Th their entire purpose was to do him harm, to stop the work on the wall. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 3. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them in the same manner. So they're, they're, they're trying over and over. He declines them the first time, but they try four different times to try to get him to leave the work on the wall and meet them in this neutral location, all for the purpose of stopping the work. And look, he could have justified doing this. The wall is done. They haven't put the gates up. They haven't put the doors up, but the wall's done. It's it's very little. It's kind of just finishing work, and it can be finished by someone else, but he knows what they're doing. He tells them every time, I'm too busy to meet you. This work is too important for me to stop to come talk to you about what, what he considered and what were these petty differences. Um, but they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to tempt him to stop doing what God has called him to do. And they're not tempting him with evil. They're not tempting him with violence. They're not tempting him with mockery like before. They're tempting him with the promise of peace. So how does he fight against these uh, temptations to stop the work that God has called him to do? Well, number one, he focuses on what God has called him to do. He is focused on God's calling. When, when you understand the importance of what God has called you to do, it's very easy to resist these temptations to stop what God has called us to do. Now, his enemies are relentless. They're going to do anything to distract him from the work, to get him to stop for just a moment. And this temptation is disguised as friendship as being kind to him. They want to meet halfway in a neutral location. It seems nice. It seems beneficial to Nehemiah. These guys are opposing me. They've threatened me. They've caused fear to go through the community. And so if they want peace, man, peace is, is great for us because they'll stop threatening. The people will feel better and we can kind of work this thing out. So it seems like a, a good idea. Hey, come have a meal with us. You know, you need a break anyway. You've been working so hard on that wall uh, for 52 days. You know, take some time off, rest a little bit, uh, kind of rejuvenate yourself. Let's, let's figure this out. Um, now, again, this seems reasonable, but this location, the Plains of Ono, it's 27 miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. So it's taking him a long way from the work. Now, 27 miles today for us isn't that long. Jump in your car, drive 27 miles, you're there in you know, 20, 30 minutes, depending on traffic. But it would have taken him a, about a day and a half to get there. Uh, so he's leaving the work for at least a day and a half. Uh, but it's also right on the border of Judah and Samaria. So it's right near the enemies of God. It is a dangerous place for Nehemiah. It's a place of vulnerability. He is away from the work, but more importantly, he's away from his allies. So he understood the danger of their request. And so he, he resisted the multiple attempts they used to try to get him in a seemingly nice, friendly way to stop the work for a while. Just, just take a little break. Let's, let's figure this thing out. 
they were tempting him to take his focus, to take his attention on what God had called him to do. They weren't asking him to do something bad or sinful. Uh, their request seems reasonable, but it would have led to the end of the work that God had sent him to do. Um, and look, we all face that temptation in our lives, the temptation to stop doing what God's called us to do. We decide to live for God. We're going to raise our families for God. We're going to be faithful in our devotions to them. We're going to be faithful to church with our family. We're going to make sure we are raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're going to be faithful in leading our wives spiritually uh, and, and, and how to walk with God. But we, we get distracted by usually benign things, uh, things that aren't sinful right off the get-go. You know, there's nothing wrong with getting home from a long day of work and relaxing by, by watching some TV. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting home from work and saying, I'm going to spend some time with my family. Maybe we'll watch a show together. Maybe we'll play a game together. But if it takes us away from what God has called us to do, there are temptations from the enemy. And we all do this. We, I'm going to read my Bible every day. Uh, but maybe something comes up. Not, not a bad thing, but something important comes up and it takes us away from reading our Bible. It takes us, you know, it's good. Got to get enough sleep. So you go, you have a rough night's sleep, and so you decide more, I'm going to sleep a little later. You need sleep. We need to sleep. But if it takes us away from doing what God's called us to do, from walking with Him, from reading our Bible and praying, from leading our families, it's a, it's a temptation from the enemy, and we all face it. Um, in fact, I, I, I face it this week. You know, Monday is uh, our family's Sabbath. Uh, we get up Monday morning, we, we have a, a big breakfast together. I cook us a big breakfast, bacon and eggs or whatever, you know, pancakes, waffles. We have a big breakfast together. Uh, we eat as a family. Uh, then we, we do some chores around the house. We kind of reset the house. You know, everybody's got a list of things to do, uh, catching up on stuff, kind of deep cleaning, just getting the house ready for the, for the week. <clears throat> and then um, at 6 o'clock, uh, all technology goes off. Everybody puts their phones away. TVs go off. Uh, we have a meal together. You know, I cook a I cook dinner. We have dinner together, and then after dinner, we we do our devotions as a family. We'll read the Bible. We're, right now, we're reading uh, through Proverbs together and kind of discussing uh, what those proverbs mean to us. Uh, after that, we'll, we'll we'll spend time as a family playing a game together. Uh, you know, we'll play Monopoly or Clue or just you know, card games, but whatever. The whole thing is the lights are dimmer in the house. The, the technology is off, so it's quieter in the house. We're spending time as a family together. And we're, most importantly, we're walking with God together. Well, this Monday, me and Connor, we the whole family uh, upgraded our phones. Lexi got a new phone because it was her birthday and we got her one for a present. Uh, so we gave her a phone line. Uh, and we were all up for an upgrade, and a couple of us needed phones because April tends to drop hers a million times a day, so hers was shattered beyond recognition. So we, we got, everybody got new phones. Uh, mine and Connor's came in on Monday, Monday uh, morning. So I, Monday morning, uh, afternoon, after chores, whatever, I, I spent some time kind of activating them and getting everything transferred over, and everything transferred over fine, but they didn't activate. Uh, and that was a problem for me because once my stuff transferred over, my old phone deactivated, so I had no cell service. I had, I'm had i paying for cell service, didn't have one. Uh, I tried for several hours to try to fix it, couldn't get it fixed. So after dinner, 
I ran up to the AT&T store with mine and Connor's phone. Connor stayed home. Uh, I'm like, I'm going to run to this AT&T store. I'm going to let them fix this thing because we got to have cell service. We got to, you know, I'm paying for this stuff. We got to have it. So I went to the cell store and I told the, told the, uh, April and them, say, y'all, y'all just play a game until I get back. When I get back, we'll do our devotions, play a little bit more, and then everybody can, you know, go to bed or whatever. Uh, but I spent about an hour, hour and 20 minutes at the AT&T store, and they didn't fix the problem. Um, it was a waste of my time. Uh, so I came home. By the time I came home, uh, they were already playing a game. I joined them in the game. We, we played for a little bit longer, and I forgot about doing devotions. So we played the game. Everybody went to bed, uh, and we just we did not do devotions. Now, was there anything wrong? with me going to the AT&T store to fix this problem with mine and Connor's phone? Of course not. But it distracted me from doing what I had told God and what I believe God had called me to do on Mondays, which was spend time in the Word of God, reading it with my family, discussing it with my family, praying with my family. It it took away from the greater good. Um, and we all face those temptations to, to stop. Um, and even though there was nothing sinful about it, but it distracted me from what God had called me to do. We waste so much time doing the good things in life that we are neglecting doing the greater thing that God has called us to do. You know how many people, uh, believers, are, are tempted to pursue a life of comfort over building the kingdom of God? And look, there's nothing wrong with making good money. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with, you know, building a, a, a good nest egg here on earth. But if our pursuit of the nicer things and more money and a bigger nest egg and more security take us away from doing what God has called us to do, from building his kingdom, it's a sinful distraction. You know how many people are tempted uh, to be with to be friends with God's enemy and meet them halfway in the plains of Ono just to compromise. They leave the truth of word of God's word to meet the world halfway. Uh, and sometimes it's under the the guise of I'm going to I'm going to meet him halfway to win him to God, to show him the truth of the Bible. But we never do. You know, TJ Betts, a uh, theologian from the past, said, if there is a word that can describe believers who make a profound impact for the kingdom of God, it is the word focused. Can we say that we are focused on what God has called us to do, or have we left the work of God to meet the enemies of God halfway in the plains of Ono? So how does Nehemiah resist the temptation? Well, look at verse 3 again. And I sent them messages unto them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should I? Why should the work cease, cease while I leave it and come down to you? He knows that the work he is doing for God is greater than the potential of peace with God's enemies. So he can't stop. The concerns of the enemy are beneath the work of God on rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. God is calling us to a life of holiness. God has called us to a life of sacrifice, of building his kingdom, of spreading the gospel, of telling the lost world about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That is the most important job for the child of God. And it is more important than the distractions that the enemy throws at us to get us to stop and lose focus on that job. John Piper 
So the greatest enemy for the hunger of God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. We forget what God has called us to do because we're focusing on distractions that may not be sinful, but they're taking us away from the work that called us to do. We are distracted by the plains of Edom. Now look at chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 5. <clears throat> then sin sent Balad his servant unto me, in like manner, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. There is nothing more cowardly than an open letter. This is a letter that Samballad is writing, not to, to Nehemiah, but to the entire Jewish community. Uh, wherein was written, it is reported among the heathen that Geshem saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words, Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I said unto him, saying, There is no such thing done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it may not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands." So what, what Sam Ballard is doing is he's sending this letter full of gossip and lies, hoping that it will spread throughout the community and cause everyone to doubt Nehemiah's true uh, purpose or true uh, intentions in building the wall, or make them so scared of retaliation from the king of Persia that they, they stop doing it altogether. So how did Nehemiah fight the gossip and slander that was a distraction to stop the work? Well, number two... He boldly told the truth. When people are gossiping and slandering you, boldly tell the truth. These are veiled threats against Nehemiah trying to make him scared for his reputation. They're using gossip and slander to hurt him. And they make up this credibility uh, by making up allies against him. It says there, it says, it is reported that's a Hebrew way of saying, man, we've heard people say this. I heard people, this is what people are saying. This is what's spreading around. Now, Nehemiah, the, he lived in a society uh, that was quick to jump to judgment. Quick to jump to condemnation over very little or very unreliable information. Now, thankfully, we don't do that anymore, do we? You know, no one reads a Facebook post and takes it as truth right away. Uh, you know, a lie repeated enough times becomes truth in everyone's eyes. You know, someone once said, and it's been attributed uh, to um, to Spurgeon, it's been attributed to um, an author, so I don't know who said it, but it said, a lie will make it halfway around the world before the truth can get its boots on. Lies travel quickly, especially in our culture. You know, we, we get information faster then we can fact check that information. And that it works because it plays on the fear, on the real fears of the people. This, this has happened before Nehemiah's time. Before Nehemiah got there, Ezra came to help reestablish the worship in Jerusalem. And he came just like Nehemiah. He came with the blessing of the king of Persia. 
He asked the king. The king gave him permission, gave him blessing, gave him letters, letting him do what he needed to do. And so he goes there to reestablish these, this, uh, the worship. But the same people, Sanballat and Tobiah, they send letters back to Artaxes, the, the king, the same king Nehemiah lives under. They sent letters back to him saying, hey, Ezra's trying to start a rebellion. So the king sent troops and a letter to Ezra saying, hey, you better stop what you're doing because I've heard you're trying to start a rebellion against me and my kingdom. So Nehemiah knows this tactic has worked in the past, and he doesn't want to get on the bad side of the king of Persia. The king's been very good to him. The king has given him blessing. The kingdom has given him uh, safe travel back. The king has given him letters to give him all the material he needs to do the work. And so this could very well put Nehemiah on a bad position with the king that's been very good to him. And so he, he, this is something that could really happen. Um, and so he could be seen as the enemy of the man that's treated him as a friend. But it's all lies. It's all gossip. It's all slander. You know, some of you uh, have been or are being gossiped and slandered about. And it's, it's terrifying. It's hurtful. It's angering. I've had it happen to me where people are spreading lies about me. And it's just it's so infuriating that... People, number one, try to do that, but then people who you think are your friends, who you think are for you, believe it without even coming to you. And, you know, so what does Nehemiah do when he faces this slander and this gossip? Well, he restates the truth of who he is and what he's doing. Look at verse 8 again. Then I said unto them, <clears throat> saying, There is no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. He says, Look, what you're saying is not true. You, you can make up these lies all you want to, but that's not what's happening. And you are just making them up to hurt the work of God. His security is in the truth of what God is, says about him and not what other people say about him. And that's where we find our, our strength and our security to resist the temptation through lies and slander and gossip to stop the work of God. Like you can say what you want about me. I know who God says I am. I know what God's called me to do. I know my own heart. Now, some of you, you're not the victims of gossip and slander. You're, you, you're the ones who are spreading it. You're spreading gossip and slander. Uh, and as believers, we don't do it uh, openly to be malicious. We do it under the guise of, hey, why don't you pray? We need to pray for so-and-so because this is what they're going through. Uh, we do, it makes us feel powerful makes us feel important because we, we feel like, man, we know something no one else does. But it's the work of the enemy. Uh, Proverbs 16 says, A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates best friends. Proverbs 2019 says, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not meddle with him who flatters with his lips. Spreading slander and gossip is a work of the enemy. No matter what you tell people, your intentions are. You know, in Romans chapter 1, Paul uh, talks about a group of people who have so removed themselves or so gotten, gotten so far away from God that the Bible says God gives them over to their vile affection. God just gives them, he's like, I can't, they've rejected me, they've resisted me, they've done so evil against me and blatantly rebelled against me that there's really, there's, there's nothing I can do. And we love to focus on the, the big ones. Uh, but let's look at that list again. In Proverbs chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, verse 29, talking about these people, says they were filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, 
covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. Now, look, we can all go and say, man, these people, man, they're, they're unrighteous, they're, they're sexually immoral, they're, they're wicked, they're, they're murdering. Yeah, these people are bad people. But then he continues, they are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, proud, boastful, inventors of evil things, and disobedient towards parents. We harp on the ones, the verses before that, where Paul talks about men leaving the natural use of the woman and men with men burning in their own lust. And man, we'll harp on that and we'll harp on the, the murderer ones. But we forget in that same list, God says, hey, you people who are spreading gossip, you're just as bad. You people who are making up lies about my people to hurt my work, you're just as wicked and unrighteous as those uh, people that you you hate on. Um, you know, God hates gossip. God hates people trying to sort discord in his family. And I think a lot of the reason we, we tend to sow gossip and slander is we don't really know what it is. You know, gossip is sharing information that may or may not be true but it's not yours to share. It's not yours to spread around. Slander is sharing untrue information to hurt someone's reputation. Gossip and slander have no place with God's people. People, you know, I've seen people throughout my life in, in Christianity and ministry, I've seen people be put under church discipline because of, of sexual immorality but I've, I've not seen anybody put in a church discipline because of gossip or slander. We don't think it's that bad. Uh, you know, be secure. Be confident in who God says you are. And when we are confident in who God says we are, we can hold our tongues when we don't know the truth. And we can be wise enough to hold our tongues when we may know the truth, but it's not up to us to share the truth. Let's keep going. Look at chapter, 10, chapter uh, 6, verse 10. Says afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Methelabel, who was shut up, and he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will for they will come to slay thee, yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. So this guy said he's a priest of God, and he's a prophet. And so he goes to Nehemiah and says, hey, let's meet together. Let's meet in the temple. The temple's a safe space. These guys are trying to kill you. Let's meet in a safe place inside. The city of Jerusalem. You're not leaving Jerusalem to leave the work. Let's meet in the temple, and that way you'll be safe. Verse 11, And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there that, being as I am, would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. Therefore... Was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin, and that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me? My God, uh, think thou upon Tobiah and Sambalat according to these, their works, and on the prophetess Nadiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me to fear. So, so what's the next thing? Now we get temptation from another source. It seems like a friendly source. What's the next thing that helped him fight the temptation? To quit the work of God. Number three, know the truth of God. Knowing God's word, knowing what God has said, 
helped him fight the lies of this false prophet. See, this time the temptation is not coming from without the family of God. It's coming from within. It's coming from a seemingly trusted source. See, Shemaiah, he claims to be speaking for God, but he's speaking for the enemy of God instead. Now, how does Nehemiah know this? Well, first of all, this message focuses on fear. He, he says, Nehemiah, you should be scared. They're trying to kill you. Come meet with us here, and that way you'll be safe. <clears throat> fear can be used to justify a lot of sinful behavior. You can control people when they're scared. And so their goal, their, their plan was to scare Nehemiah into leaving the work that God has called him to do on the wall and to hide because he's scared for his life. But here's the thing. Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. God has told us to test the spirits. And one way you can tell if they, the spirit or the voice you're listening to is from God or from the enemy is if it causes you to fear, if it causes you to be afraid. See, because God's spirit doesn't lead to fear. God's spirit gives us power, gives us courage, gives us love, gives us self-control. So if whatever you're, you're hearing causes you to be hateful or hate a group of people or be scared of something, it's not from God. You know why so many people are, are compromising the Word of God right now? Saying things that God has called sin are, are not so bad because fear of being rejected. Fear of being called a bigot or being prosecuted. That's why I've heard so many pastors recently say, you know, sex before marriage isn't that bad if it's with someone you love or someone you may intend to spend the, the rest of your life with. And it, it, it's okay. You know, God doesn't frown about or on it. But it is sin because God says it is. Um, you know, and that's why so many other believers are so hateful in their beliefs. You know, fear causes us to compromise and fear causes us to share the truth of God without the love of God. He knows this is untrue because it causes fear, but he also knows it's untrue because it goes against the law of God. It goes against the Bible. See, number 17 says that only priests are allowed to go into that part of the temple. Nehemiah isn't a part of the priesthood. So for him to go into that part of the temple would be violating the word of God. It would go against the law of God. So he fights the, against the lies of the enemy because he knows what the Bible says. He knows the word of God. He knows who God is, and he knows who he is in God. He knows he is an image bearer of God, and God doesn't want him scared. Look at ch uh, chapter 6, verse 11. And I said, should such a man as I flee, and who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life, I will not go in. A child of God doing the work of God should not back down from what God's called him to do when he's tempted, no matter how, where the temptation comes. Knowing who he is in, in God because of the truth of the Bible gives him the power he needs to resist the temptation of the enemy. So when he's faced with false prophets, he doesn't walk away from the faith God has given him, but he dives deeper into prayer. Look at chapter 6, start verse 15. <clears throat> so the wall was finished in the 20th and fifth day of the month Eth Elu in 52 days. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of God. 
Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Juniah had taken the daughter of Mesolah, the son of uh, Berechiah. And also they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. Now this is this is frustrating for Nehemiah because he's he's finishing the wall, and the people who should be on his side, who should be supporting him and proud of him and happy for him and glad the wall's finished, they're they're praising the enemy. They're praising Tobiah. So look at verse number chapter seven. Look at verse one. Now it came to pass when the wall was built and I had set the doors and the uh, and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed that I gave my brother Hananiah, uh, Hanani and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun be hot. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, everyone in his watch and everyone to be over against his house. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not built. So Nehemiah, he, he doesn't go with the, the powerful men in the city, the men who are, because of marriage and other things, but who are friends with Tobiah, he, he goes with the faithful man. So what's the last way Nehemiah fight, fought temptation to quit? Number four, live in community with God's people. Godly community helps us fight the temptation to quit what God has called us to do because we are stronger together. The wall was finished in under, under two months, but the opposition continues. And part of those who are helping Nehemiah, they're connected to Tobiah through, through marriage. And so Nehemiah doesn't know who he can trust. Uh, the temptation to compromise and, and choose these powerful relationships were strong. He could have chosen these allies of Tobiah, and even though the wall was finished, he could have kind of allied with these men and, and gotten a lot of power and a lot of wealth and a lot of authority. Uh, he could have built a powerful position for himself through these relationships. But instead, he grows the relationships with people who he knows love God. These people he gave the authority to, and he he built relationships with, they had, they had no power in the city. They had no uh, wealth in the city, in society, but they loved God. They were his people because they feared God. So he chooses God-fearing community over a godless community with lots of power. So what are you going to choose? Where is your community? Where and who do you put your hope in? You know, the life of the child of God it's one where we, we face trials. We're going to face temptations until until the end, until we see Jesus Christ face to face. And temptations don't always come out of you know obvious sinful things, but they come as good things that distract us. But we can overcome them. We can fight them. We have the example of Nehemiah, but more importantly, we have the example of Jesus. Jesus left the palace of heaven, because he saw the broken state of, of us. He saw how miserable we were, how hopeless we were. So he left the palace of heaven where he, he got praise all the time. He was worshipped by angels all the time. He was at the right hand of God the Father. He left all of that to come to earth. 
to live a perfect, sinless life. He faced temptation. The Bible says he faced every temptation that we face, but he was without sin. He died on the cross the death we should have suffered. He went to hell when we should have. He absorbed the wrath of God for my sin and for your sin. He was tempted to quit. He was tempted when, when everyone rejected him, when all of his friends who should have been on his side fled and left him and abandoned him. He could have quit at any time, but he didn't. He was faithful to the cross. He was faithful to die in our place. He was faithful to rise again to redeem us to God the Father. So how do we do that? Focus on what God's called you to do. Know what God says about you and don't believe the eyes of the enemy. Know the word of God so you can fight the lies of the enemy and live in godly community. If we can do that, we can resist the temptation to quit what God's called us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you so much for the, the opportunity to, to meet today, even through Facebook and, and different media. God, we, we still get to hear the Word of God. We still get to worship you and, 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 and hear what the Holy Spirit has laid on our hearts. God, I pray that you would give every one of us, God, the, the courage, the wisdom, the power to resist the temptation to quit what you've called us to do. God, help us to be like Nehemiah, to know what you say about us, to know the work that you've called us to do is so vitally important, and to resist the enemy's tries to get us to quit. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I do want to thank you so much for joining us this morning uh, for our Sunday morning worship service. Even in this kind of, um, you know, not traditional way, we're so grateful everyone's uh, here with us this morning, watching on Facebook. Maybe you're listening later, but I do want to give you a couple of announcements. Don't forget, next week is a very important week. Uh, we are having our deacon ordination. <clears throat> Mike Williams, of course, he was voted in a couple weeks ago, and we're going to have our deacon ordination uh, next Sunday morning in the 11 o'clock service, so be here for that. It's going to be a special service, a precious time. We are having a fellowship after the service, just a very brief um, kind of dessert fellowship, so uh, or so little light foods, light finger foods. So I am asking if you come, bring some light finger foods. We'll just we'll be in the fellowship hall, just have a little brief time together. Um, also, don't forget uh, next uh, Friday, Friday the not this coming up Friday, but the twenty fifth, Friday the twenty fifth, we are having a a sweethearts uh, fellowship at Mount and April's house. We'll have a sign up sheet next week for that. Uh, so you can sign up for that. And then, of course, on the 26th, we're having our chili fundraiser for the kids. We're going to have chili and baked potato, $5 uh, per person or maximum $20 per family to eat. Now, if you want to donate more than that, that'd be appreciated because all the proceeds are going to go towards the, uh, the, the teens and their uh, summer camp and teen prayer advance. So that's that's all going to that. So I do do appreciate y'all staying for that. Uh, we'll keep making these announcements on Facebook just to keep you in the loop. And um, thank again, thank you so much for joining us. I hope everyone has a blessed day. Stay safe, stay warm, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.